Hi, this is Rahman Sheikh. Welcome to Fortnightly Railway Transportation Systems Podcast. I am the host and railway systems specialist working in this industry for 24 years and counting. This podcast is primarily focused on railway experts who have vast amount of experience and contributed greatly to this amazing industry. This is not a technical seminar but focuses on feel good stories, individual journeys, their success and failures, motivating younger generation to kick start their career in railways and creating a sense of pride for the railway people who devoted their lives on the most environment friendly public transportation. Our guest for this fortnight is Atul Rastogi program planning manager at Sydney Trains Atul started his professional career in the year 1992 in Indian Railway Service of Signal Engineers members of this service manage signaling and telecommunication systems on Indian railway network across India starting as assistant signaling and telecommunication engineer Atul held various positions in the fields of engineering project and program management Let Later, working as a deputy chief signal and telecom engineer in the year 2008, Atul migrated to Australia, working for Ansaldo STS Private Limited, now Hitachi Rail. He worked as senior signal engineer and project manager in Hunter Valley on various projects with ARTC, moved to Perth in the year 2012 as a senior program manager to work on auto haul project of Rio Tinto, and later in 2016 in Malaysia as a project director. Atul joined. Joined Sydney Trains in the year 2016 as program planning manager, a position that he currently holds. Atul has three decades of management experience in rail transportation sector, working for large-sized public and private sector organizations in India, Malaysia, and Australia. He has significant depth of experience in planning and delivery of complex projects and programs in brownfield, multi-stakeholders, high-risk, and fast-changing environment in railways. Hi, Atul. Welcome to Railway Transportation Systems Podcast. Hi, Raymond. Thank you for having me. I feel honored coming to this podcast. I've been listening to this podcast for quite some time, and I've been inspired myself. Various people and leaders in transport industry that you have invited. Thank you for those kind words. As a generic question, let's start with your professional career. Can you share with our listeners your professional journey in transport industry? Sure. So when I finished my electronics and communication engineering in year 1992, I joined Indian Railways as assistant signal and telecom engineer. First two years were spent in intense training in classroom and field all across India. As you know, Indian Railways is one entity across India where not only we were taught about signaling and communication, but we were introduced to different disciplines like track and electrical and so on and so forth. When I actually got posted in 1994, my first posting was in a state of Bihar which is relatively underdeveloped part of India as assistant signal and telecom engineer it was a vast area it was a meter gauge railway largely using mechanical signaling and telecommunication was also very old with overhead wires and all so it was quite maintenance intensive and geographical spread was huge even in my first role i had 10 direct reports and more than 100 staff indirectly reporting to me and i had a pleasure of traveling different parts of bihar talking to staff listening to their grievances so my role was not 
only the technical part, but there was a lot of HR-related part. And as you may know, that Indian Railways is highly unionized workforce. So there were instances where I had to tactfully deal with unions as well, which I tried to do it with as much honesty as I possibly could. Like this, I spent nine years in different roles in maintenance organization within Indian Railways, both on signaling side as well as telecommunication side. In 2001, I moved to the projects organization in Indian Railways. And again, I moved around to different parts of India. I worked on projects for New Line, for Double Line, for gauge conversion, where meter gauge was being converted to broad gauge. There was a big push in India at that point of time to have just one gauge to remove narrow gauge and meter gauge. There was a big push on railway electrification as well because electricity is renewable, so phasing out diesel workers. And it all required changes in signaling infrastructure and telecom infrastructure. So for about seven years, I worked on complex projects, yard remodeling, re-signaling, since so on and so forth. And that's where I cut my teeth into program planning and program development area. I managed to successfully deliver those challenging projects. I got opportunity to do MBA in year 2000. And uh, after that, I got inspired to do something different. So I moved to Australia in year 2008. And I started working as a senior signal engineer in Newcastle, where Enceldo STS was having an alliance with ARTC. It was a time for mining boom and a lot of new works were coming in that area. I soon moved to a project management role. I did that for four years till 2012. And then Seldo got a new contract with Rio Tinto up in Perth, installing world's first freight rail system called Auto Hall uh, driverless train system. So there was a big wayside signaling component supporting Auto Hall. And I joined as a senior project manager in 2012. I continued in that role till early 2016. And then I moved to Malaysia with Enceldo as a project director for a $100 million project, Kuala Lumpur. At the same time, I got this opportunity to work for Sydney Trains in 2016. And I decided to move back to Australia. And I've been with Sydney Trains since October 2016. And that's the position I currently hold. That's a quite long journey. 31 years with railways covering both engineering and delivery. After such a good start with railways, that is Indian Railways, what made you choose Australia after working 16 years with Indian Railways? So I was fortunate to work for Indian Railways because it's a very tough grind and it gives you a very diverse experience in different fields, which is rare to find elsewhere. So we are rotated through design, construction, testing and commissioning, maintenance, engineering side, signaling and telecom, project management and all. So that was a very well-rounded experience. But I knew that if I continue in Indian Railways, I would continue doing more of the same. So I I just wanted to diversify my experience. And I thought work culture in India is pretty much the same, whether you work for a government organization or a private organization, why not think of moving out and see how I perform in that new environment. And another reason was that, as you know, in India, education system is highly competitive and practically drops of childhood for the children because they have to work so hard. And it's not just India, it's Asian communities anywhere. That was also a back of my 
my mind and that for my two daughters, I just wanted them to enjoy a proper childhood, real childhood. And you generally don't migrate for yourself, you migrate for your next generation. So that's why I decided to take this leap of faith. It was a very tough decision, leaving a very secure and cushy job and throw yourself to uncertain life in Australia. But I'm glad that I took that switch. It has been 15 years now and I've never once regretted the decision. We are a family that loves traveling. We have traveled extensively in Australia and all around the world. I picked new hobbies. The work-life balance here is good. It allows you to focus on not only on work, but on your personal. So I picked up photography seriously. I picked up motorcycle riding. We love doing road trips. So yeah, it has been a good life and my family has also enjoyed it. Beautiful. I'm glad you like Australian railways and sunshine. Yeah. And I like that uh, challenge you took. You came out of that comfort zone and took a challenge and it gave you beautiful results. And I am glad that you are enjoying it. Now that uh, we spoke about two countries in general covering railways, when it comes to delivering work, can you explain the key differences you observed with respect to program and project planning and delivery in Indian railways? and Australian railways? They're hugely different, I would say. And the reasons of difference are that the context is very different in both the countries and work culture is very different in both the countries. So if you take Indian railways, I remember in early 2000 when I moved to projects organization, there were a few accidents and there was a lot of emphasis on safety. So a lot of funds were allocated to improvement of signaling and telecom in Indian railways. And these funds were allocated means that you have to use these funds. A lot of projects were created, timelines were really tight that did not allow you to follow the proper process of planning and then delivering. So most of the time we were fast tracking means that we were planning and delivering at the same time. And that has its own risk and challenges. So we faced that and the commissioning dates were decided in advance. Uh, I remember I was doing circular railway electrification in Lucknow and Prime Minister is coming to inaugurate on that day. That date is not going to change no matter what problems you are facing. So that put immense pressure on people. We achieved the results. We did achieve the results at all times. However, when I look with the benefit of hindsight, I think it took personal toll on a lot of people. So people took pride. They were happy people. They were talented people. There was a personal toll that people have to make sacrifices to meet those targets. Whereas in Australia, I find that the pace of work is manageable. There is a sufficient time allocated for planning, a sufficient emphasis on people, not only their physical well-being, but their mental well-being as well. And I, I see a genuine concern for welfare of your people. Project management here is more structured. Whereas in Indian situation, there was focus on results and delivery. Here in Australia, there's strong emphasis on developing proper documents, proper plans, having designs ready before you start construction and so on and so forth. But as I said, context in both the countries are very different and things are changing in India as well. Well, hopefully I can see some differences and similarities between both railways. And I'm really looking forward for that change in Indian railways. To help our listeners, can you 
tell us if there is any specific and generic checklist you refer to at the start of the project? Of course, uh, this is based on my uh, experience in delivering projects. So few things I, I consider really important, uh, and I've been doing that in Sydney Trains as well. As we are, we are taking a concept and we are starting with an intangible concept and taking into delivery phase. Let's say we are doing a resignaling in some yard. Where would you start? So first thing I would look at is getting requirements correct, scope correct. And part of that process is identifying who your stakeholders are. So engagement with these stakeholders, understanding requirements and the scope, that's the solid foundation for any project. Uh, what are the assumptions and risk with different elements of the project? What is that we don't know? Based on the best information you have, you make some assumptions and keep revisiting them. Resource requirements, what kind of resources do you need? Formation of a core team for delivery of that project, planning and delivery of that project, schedules and timelines, effort required for different activities, uh, interfaces and dependencies we may not be the only project working in that area there may be other projects working in the area do we need coordination with them how do our work relate so that is a very important part because you don't know what you don't know so just asking around advertising that I'm working in this area, let's say Flemington East Junction. If I pick one example, I'm trying to remodel that. What are other projects happening in that area from transport or Sydney trains or any other organization that could impact us? Engineering and design, are we using a new type of interlocking or a new kind of product? Will it require type approval? What is the safety assurance process behind that? What are various things that we need to consider there, timelines and all. Could there be legacy issues? Many a times you find that there are existing non-compliances. So you touch it, you fix it. And if you don't consider that, that could become a significant risk for the project. It could blow out your cost and schedule. Are there any latent conditions? So most of the projects that have been involved, broadfield projects are fraught with risk. There could be latent conditions that you are not aware of. So doing an investigation, what could probably be those latent conditions? There could be heritage issues, there could be environmental issues, just checking if there are any issues that you need to deal with. Configuration change management, how we move from this estate to the final estate. Many a time, changes that we are making could impact the way staff work. So there could potentially be a involvement of unions, consultation with unions involved. There could be a consultation with council if we are working on a level crossing gate. Operational readiness part of it, if a new product is being introduced, how operations will work, or if a new interlocking is being introduced, how operations will work, what is the training involved. So there are a number of factors that go and also learning from previous projects of similar nature, what went well, what did not go well, and then factoring that into your planning side of things. Wow, quite informative and very, very comprehensive. I think it's quite useful for the listeners of this podcast who are new to this industry or in mid-level experience people. Thanks for sharing that checklist. I cannot deep dive into every single topic because this podcast is pretty much only for 30 minutes. I would like to deep dive one of those items in the checklist, that is risk. Can you share how do you identify the risks involved before you start the project? Can you explain smart ways to identify them? Sure. So the risks is about uncertainty. And in project 
we deal with uncertainties all the time. You never have all the information that you need in a project environment. And the field is so vast that I personally break it down into a logical structure. I call that a risk breakdown structure. So let's say scope is one, one element. The scope could be unclear. Requirements could be unclear. And if you don't nail it down, it will grow. There could be gold plating. There could be unsaid requirements. So I break down into different areas like scope cost, effort and duration required for activities. You don't want to miss any activity that need to be done on the project. Technical risk, as I mentioned, regarding new product being used and you're working in a brownfield area. It's a very old design. You don't have all the records. I go to different elements of the project, materials, procurement, contracts, commercial aspects, quality, resourcing, the kind of resources required site safety and construction related issues in interface and coordination with different projects, experience from previous projects. Now, once having listed all the different elements, uh, I think of SMEs each area. So I, I believe in focus groups rather than taking a big bang approach where you are having one big workshop, I prefer focus groups. So identifying who are the right people, let's say to talk about a scope and requirements, just focus on that and see what could go wrong what assumptions have been more what we know and what we don't know what could go wrong and that way properly document risk associated with each uh, element testing assumptions that's how i identify risk associated with projects beautiful really informative Atul. i really want to sit down and make notes with you one time because uh, it's 31 years i can see the 31 years experience and how Andrea, Sydney Trains is really lucky to have you. Now, Sydney, now the- Sydney Trains is really a very good organization. I really enjoy working for Sydney Trains. A lot of talented people and a lot of opportunities for you to learn. Now, now that uh, we have done our planning, cross-checked our checklist and identified and mitigated the risks as well. So the next stage, please let's share your thoughts on what are the key things you will observe before allocating the work to a contractor. Yeah, so I'll go a step back, is which is make versus buy decision. So the certain activity needs to be performed, whether we do that internally or externally, we make that decision, you know, taking into account several factors. And once we decide that certain activity needs to be outsourced, then comes the procurement process. So the things that I generally consider during procurement capabilities of the contractor. So when I get an offer and I'm reviewing an offer from the contractor, I would look at the understanding of the scope. Do they really understand what we are trying to achieve? Their methodology for delivery, how they are planning to deliver, do they? And that shows me whether how much contractor knows about the work. The qualifications and depth of experience of their staff that they are proposing to use on this project. What assumptions and special conditions that they have put. What is their past record of delivery? How they have performed well? Have they delivered similar projects? How did they fare? Their current workload. What are the projects have they got? Do they really have bandwidth to focus on delivering this particular activity for us? Pricing also comes um, is a factor in the decision making, but it's not the most important element uh, of decision making. Other than pricing, is scheduling timeline as well. So there are a number of factors in the mix. A record on safety also comes into play if it is a construction related contract. Beautiful explanation, very crisp and clear. Three decades of experience, and uh, I'm 
very sure there might be lots of lesson learns in your career as you said did you identify any project when it was going in a wrong way and how did you prevent it from happening the top of mind comes project that i managed for rio tinto so when i moved from newcastle to perth the first project that was i given charge of was called rail capacity enhancement 253 253 metric tin so rio has infrastructure works where they wanted to move improve the capacity to 253 metric tin and there was a lot of bayside signaling and communication works it was a huge package of work for about 100 million dollars and it was to be delivered in a two years period it started 211 and and target was 213 and i joined in april 2012 when i joined i realized that we have spent nearly 70 million dollars 70% of the budget and we have only delivered 15% of physical progress so there was a huge backlog and our funds were nearly exhausted and client was hugely concerned about the progress about the slip in the schedule about excess expenditure so it was a very difficult situation the staff was also demoralized because there was a lack of coordination uh, between different teams it was a big team design construction manufacturing testing and commissioning safety assurance installation engineering so on and so forth so the steps that i took i met each of the work packet leaders my peers engineering construction commissioning i met client i just took a download from them as to what they think could potentially be going wrong and what they would do if they were in my situation what would be their top three priorities that way i identified that budget and schedule are two topmost priorities and the third priority was bringing team together right hand did not know what left hand was doing and that gave me a direction to work on so i worked with each work packet leaders identifying what has been completed what still needs to be completed how much money we need what is the timeline and i had key formal key performance agreements with each work packet leader this is your scope this is your schedule this is your budget this is what you need from others for example if it is construction manager i need design by such and such date if i have to meet this schedule having those key performance agreements gave ownership to all the work packet leaders and it also gave them visibility of what is required i presented that plan to client and my senior management and then i started having follow up sessions with all the team together other thing i find that was leading to this issue and i, I find it almost everywhere is the silo mentality each team working on its own design working in its own bubble construction working in own bubble and testing and commissioning working in own bubble and each pointing fingers to each other and which is called swing lane so i was determined to break it it's hard it's a very complex problem and the way to break it was this it's there's no exact science it's an art and i learned the art as i went having regular catches with people uh managing emotions managing long standing prejudices telling aligning us all that decisions need to be taken on what is best for business or what is best for project not what is best for engineering or or construction and testing and commissioning and just focusing everyone's energy in collaborating and finding the solution there are problems there are challenges but we need to work together to find solutions and not see as a designer or a construction person or a manufacturing person and, and helping people out well wow. that's good stuff you explain the whole 
program planning in five minutes. And uh, especially this is quite helpful for the juniors and uh, senior level professionals who worked in their day-to-day life for the program planning. And you covered really, that's a really tough budget schedule, making sure that it's not impacting the safety or operations and maintenance. Really great wisdom, Atul. Thanks for sharing. Thank you very much. I would uh, like to ask you, my one last question is, what's your one piece of advice to our listeners? It's something I've learned from my experience. I've not been very good at it myself. So I wish I had done things differently. Sometimes we feel that our work speaks for everything and we just keep our head down and keep working. But I have found that networking is very important. Cultivating relationships is very important. I wish I had cultivated relationships with the work environment, being part of the professional bodies, met people outside my own organization and within my organization cultivated relationships. Because the advantage with cultivating mutually beneficial and productive relationship is is that you grow by interacting with different people. You personally grow. It's good for mental space as well. It gives you a feeling. It keeps your spirits up. It keeps you motivated. And not only your learning, but your spirits are up. It's good for work as well, getting the results, because emails and things like that, creating records doesn't help. What really helps us is picking up the phone and talking to your mate. Mate, this needs to be done. And I need a favor. I need help. That way you become more effective in, in doing your role. So uh, my advice to listeners would be, please invest some time and energy in looking around you and cultivating relationships in the workplace. Sincere, genuine interest in the people who work with you. Beautiful advice. I think it's the people with who work with you and as well as outside networking. I really like your advice, networking. Pick the phone and just talk. And that's not happening nowadays. People only text it. Networking is often thought in a negative connotation that you are meeting people just to promote your career. I, I think it's much more than that. Taking sincere and genuine interest in people around. Thank you, Atul. Thank you for your time and uh, sharing your insights with us. Thank you, Raymond. I really enjoyed being in this podcast and thank you for having me. Thank you. I believe everyone listening to this podcast has got something to take away from today's discussion. If you like this podcast, please listen, follow and share this podcast within your network. If you believe we should be sharing your story or someone within your network. There is a railway leader who should be here sharing his or her contribution to this industry. Contact me on railwaytransportationsystems at gmail.com. Thank you for your time today. See you next fortnight. Until then, stay safe and take care of yourself.